Well, um, we're at, uh, uh, this is today marks the end of official restrictions. It doesn't mark the end of the pandemic, but it is kind of maybe, I would say, the beginning of a new start. And uh, what I want to do today, we've done lots of Bible studies uh, in, the, in the last weeks. We've looked at the Beatitudes and, and we looked at different scriptures. But today, I really just want to just share um, who we are as a church and uh, where we're going. Um, and uh, uh, there's two reasons why I want to do that. One is we have discovered that there's a number of you, I met loads, we met loads of you yesterday who joined us. Um, in, in the last um, 18 months. And uh, we only found out this week, I can hardly believe this is true, but they tell me it is, uh, that when we went into the pandemic, we had 120 folk on our database, church suite, between the ages of um, eight, 18 or 19 and 29. 18 and 29. We come out of the pandemic with, I think it's 240 between those ages. So I really don't understand how that happened. Maybe the answer is we don't meet and the church will grow. Uh, I don't know what else to say. And also just with, with our young people, you know, it's just wonderful. You know, so often in these times, it's really hard uh, continuing on a journey with teenagers. But in just a few weeks, um, uh, there's I think 55 of our older teens are going away with their, their leaders uh, together on three days um, kind of camp. And uh, a number who are, are new to the church, a number um, who, aren't, who don't yet know Jesus. So there's lots to encourage us. But what I want to do is just um, look at uh, who, who we are and who we believe God is telling us to be. The first, um, the first name given to followers of Jesus uh, in the Acts of the Apostles was not Christians. Before they were ever called Christians, they were called the people of the way. The people of the way. And indeed, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Uh, in Matthew 4, 17, when he called the disciples, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and women, of human beings. And, and the imagery is of a people who move, of a people of the way, of a people who follow. And that's the imagery of, of church that is so much in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, when the people of Israel were in Egypt, they were static. When they were slaves, they were slaves for 400 years. They didn't go on holiday for 400 years. Think about that. They couldn't go abroad for 400 years. They couldn't even go to Great Yarmouth. As I was leaving to come here, my next door neighbours were packing the car. And um, they told me they were going on holiday because they usually put the bins out. And so it's my job today. Please may I not forget. But I said, where are you going? And they said, Great Yarmouth. And I said, can I get in with you? And they said, no. But the, but the people of, of Israel, they were static. When they were slaves, they didn't go anywhere. And then the Lord rescued them. He, he liberated them out of their slavery and they went on a journey. 
They went on the journey. It's felt for many of us like for 18 months, we've been trapped. It's like we've been slaves in our houses. We haven't been able to go anywhere, but the Lord is calling his people as he always does on a journey on a journey. And for the people of Israel, they followed the cloud. They followed the pillar of fire. It appeared as a fire at night. And the Lord led them. He led them out of their captivity. And you know, when he led them, um, then there were times when they didn't understand what on earth he was doing. Uh, because he led them at times by a strange route. It wasn't the most direct route. It wasn't the easiest route. It what didn't seem the safest route. And he led them through a wilderness where they could have gone a much better way, a much easier way. And they were wondering, why are you leading us this way? Why is this taking longer than it should do? But it says... In, in Exodus, we're told that at certain points, he led them by not the most obvious route because he knew that in the most obvious route, they were enemies and they would have attacked them. They didn't know that, but he knew that. And he knows what he's doing. And sometimes he leads us not by the easiest route and not by the most obvious route, but he leads us according to his will and his compassion and his foreknowledge. And so we need to, to understand that, that so often we can't see where he is taking us and why. And that's the opportunity to trust him. That's the opportunity to take hold of him. That's the opportunity to prove him faithful. When we can see everything clearly, there's not the great need to lean on him. And Andy last week preached a fantastic sermon, the only fantastic sermon he's ever preached. Uh, but it was fantastic. I can't say nice things without saying something. And uh, it makes me feel ill. And, uh, <laughs> but he, he, he talked about, um, you know, steps to, you know, being in God's peace and knowing God's peace. And he said three things, the three Ps, which I know you all remember because it's written on your hearts. He said, first of all, remember the past. Yeah. Uh, secondly, he said, hold on to the promises. And thirdly, um, he, he said, oh my Lord. He said, I know, I know, I knew that. Uh, uh, and thirdly, he said, pray, be a people of prayer. So it's it was a really old-fashioned sermon, you know, the three Ps. You know, it's my three-point sermon, all beginning with the same letter. And uh, uh, but but it was it was it was great, and it was. And I just want to talk briefly about the first bit. Remember the past. That's exactly what the people of Israel did. So often in their history, they stopped to tell to recount the goodness of God and how he delivered them and how he saved them and, and how he rescued them in the midst of a battle or in the midst of the desert. And they would celebrate. They would put up like altars uh, commemorating uh, certain events. And that kept them going. And, and I'm so aware that there's a number of you who have joined the church in the last months 
And I want to tell you what you've joined. I want to tell you a little bit of our story, a little bit of our history, because our history becomes your history if you're part of us, if you're part of the people of God here. And also for those of you, and I can see a number of you who have been with us forever, we just can't seem to shake you off. It's like we plant churches and say, we invite you to go to that church just to get rid of a few of you. And you still won't go. I mean, I see, I, I don't want to mention names because that would be horrible. You know, I don't want to say, for example, Dennis and Miriam. You know, I mean, it's like, no, no, no. I mean, if they want to stay and just forever... For those watching on the live stream, I don't really care. <laughs> but do you know, but, but do you know uh, for those of us that have been around a while, it's really, really good to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Now, this first bit is, gonna, is embarrassing. I think it was 30 years ago, this coming September, that we began this church. I, it might have been 29 years ago but I just cannot remember for the life of me. And I've been trying to work it out. It was 29 or 30 years ago, and there was 11 of us. That first meeting, there was 11 of us. It was, it, and we met in Andy and Mary Devers' front room in Nascot Wood, uh, by the Nascot Arms uh, in, 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 in Watford. And I remember when we met, it was, I, I've been youth worker, uh, youth leader at St Andrew's Chorley Wood, a village near here. And uh, they, that's how they got rid of me. They sent me to plant a church in Watford. And uh, most of the other 10 had been in my youth group and grown up and uh, they were 18 and they joined the adventure. But you know, when we first met, we, I looked at the other 10 and I thought, how on earth is this ever going to become a church? And I suddenly had this horrible nightmare scenario that, that in... Um, um, you know, next week there would be 11 of us and next month there would be 11 of us and in six months there would be 10 of us because one of us would have died, you know? And I thought, how? We, we don't know what we're doing. And then we started asking the obvious questions. We wanted to reach young people. So we said, how do, how do we get to young people? How do we get them? Where are they? They're in school. So I wrote a letter to all the head teachers in the local schools and I, I kind of dressed us up you know, I didn't say there's 11 of us. Um, I said, we're a new church in Watford. We're, we're kind of connected to the Church of England because it works. And, uh, and um, I'm the pastor. And if you would like someone to do an assembly, I'd be very happy to come. Four schools in Watford, the idiot said yes. And so I was invited and I went. And I knew I wasn't allowed to preach the gospel. So I said a few jokes. And then I said to them, on Friday nights, we're starting a cafe called Dreg's Cafe for you. Uh, it's absolutely free. We are Christians, I said. But I promise if you come, we will not preach at you. We will not try to convert you. And so I said, you're very welcome. There'll be a band playing. There'll be karaoke. There'll be computer games. There'll be lots of things going on. Um, do, do come. And then I went back to our little team and I said to them, I've made a promise that if they come, uh, we will not tell them about Jesus. So if I catch any of you telling anyone about Jesus, I will personally persecute you. And, um, 
And then I remember the first night we got everything ready. And just before, I was so nervous. And there were two things I was nervous about. The first thing was, what if nobody comes? What if nobody comes? What are we going to do? And the second thing I was nervous about, which was even more nervous, was, what if some of them come? What if some of them come? And do you know, some of them did come. And a whole bunch came. And what we did over the next months is we got to know them. And we became friends with them. And uh, our little band, um, uh, Matt, Matt Redman, uh, who'd been in my youth group, uh, um, he joined, he was part of the, the original 11. So he became our worship leader and he fronted the little band. And they did covers of uh, the songs that were in the charts at the time. Every week he did Wonderwall. And it was horrible. And Matt may be a good worship leader. He is a horrific pop star. And certainly he was then. And it was excruciating. And then there was karaoke. And then there was all sorts of... And one time, more than once, we had a fancy dress party. And then we would have um, a talent show. And then uh, oh, one, night, one night we had a belching competition. And... Um, and I remember it was, that was when we were hiring a hotel function room because we'd outgrown the previous place. And they had these dividing walls and the other side was the hotel restaurant. And when the winner of the belching competition belched so loudly into the microphone, the manager of the hotel came over and asked if we could leave because that was the last time we were in that hotel. But do you know what? After a few months... It happened. They came and they started saying, the first lot that asked me, they said, there's a rumour that you're Christians. Is that true? And I said, it might be. And they said, we remember you said when you came to school. And there's a rumour that you meet on a Sunday night and you have a church. And, uh, and I said, yes, we do. And they said, if we wanted to, could we come? This was the moment I'd been waiting for and I wasn't going to blow it. And I looked at them and I said, oh, you'd be bored. And they said, well, if we were bored, we could leave. But I mean, if we wanted to, could we? And I said, well, if you really wanted to, I wouldn't stop you. And they came. We were in Queen's School Hall and they came and we decked Queen's School Hall exactly the same on Sunday night as we'd done Dreg's Cafe on Friday night. The same tables and chairs, the same decor, the same band. And when the kids came in, uh, the, they walked in and they said, hey, this is Dregs. This is our place. And then they went up to Matt, some of them, and they said, are you going to do Wonderwall tonight? And he said, well, I was thinking of doing a couple of songs that I'd written, actually. And they stayed. And they came to know Jesus from completely unchurched backgrounds. And I'll never forget those first months as we saw whole loads of them come to meet Jesus. And what we did is we built a bridge from us, from church, to them. We walked over the bridge to them and then we walked back with them because it wasn't going to work doing it the other way. And it wasn't, don't misunderstand me, I believe in preaching the gospel. You know, if they don't hear, how can they believe? I really do. I am a member of the Evangelical Alliance. So I am kosher. 
okay? I, be- I believe in preaching the gospel. But you know what? It can't just be words. It can't just be words. And so our church started to grow. And then after a while, we were like, um, uh, you know what? We, we, what are we going to do? It got to about 30 of us. And uh, uh, it was getting exhausting, uh, hiring places three times a week, one time for our midweek meeting, one time for our Friday night, one time for our Sunday night. And it was like, but there's 30 of us and most of us aren't wage, don't earn a wage. Uh, and then Jeannie, Jeannie Morgan, is Jeannie here? Yeah, Jeannie there. Well, Jeannie, who's always been a pain in the neck, um, <laughs> From the, I've, I've worked with, Jeannie and I have worked together for 35 years, I think, something like that. And we did youth work, uh, she and her husband, Ken, and I at St. Andrews. And, and I planted the church in order to get away from them. And they came. But Jeannie came to me and she said, I found this disused warehouse in Grey Cane Road. It's an old W.H. Smith warehouse. Um, you've got to come and look at it. And I was like, how much is it? And she said, 300,000 pounds. And my first reaction was, I'm not coming to look at it. You know, we haven't got £3,000. How are we going to get £300,000? She said, I think the Lord's in this. Just come. And you can't argue with the woman. You just can't. She just batters you to death. And, and so I ended up going. And you know, when I went in there, it was a mess. It was dirty. It was, it was horrible. But something stirred. And miracles happened. Uh, Jeannie's husband, Ken, persuaded Barclays Bank to give us a mortgage. And money came in to pay the deposit. And we got next door. And uh, we did it up, the few of us that were there. And it became our home. And what was amazing, it was a freehold. And most warehouses in Watford, they're, they're leasehold. You can't get freehold, which means you own the thing. And I remember Ken and Jeannie and I, we, we stayed up all night on the Friday night because we had a training day the next day. It was the first thing we were going to use. And we put in cha- tables and chairs together. And then at five o'clock in the morning, we sat at this table we just put together, had a coffee, went home, came back at nine for our first ever meeting. And for me, yesterday was really emotional, seeing the place that 27 years ago, Uh, God gave us, seeing how it is now ready for the next step. You know, I watched it and yeah, it was really emotional. And it's about God's goodness. It's not about a building. And I tell you, I remember when when we exchanged contracts, some of us went in there. It was filthy and there was a hole in the ground. And we, Barry and Mary Kissel, uh, my colleagues from St. Andrew's Chorley Wood, they came with us and we stood in a circle uh, around that hole and we prayed and we asked the Lord to bless it. And Barry started crying. He started sobbing. And that, that wasn't like Barry. He didn't do that very often. And then after a while, he said, God's just spoken to me. He's really spoken to me. And Barry was quite really prophetic is really prophetic. And, and, and then Barry said, the Lord's just shown me that God is going to bring people to this place from all over the world. And God is going to send people from this place to all over the world. And do you know, that's exactly what's happened. That's exactly what's happened. God said it. 
And that's exactly what he's done. He did it. He's faithful. He's faithful. And then we outgrew that and we didn't know what to do. And it was like, well, where can we move to? And to our amazement, can you believe this? This warehouse became available. Next door, also freehold. And so we bought it and, um, and we did it up. And, and now we've, we've done phase one and, 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 and in, in time, soonish we hope, we're going to join the two together and we're going to make this a bigger space and we're going to have lots of places. And next door, my dream, we've got to do the finances to see if it works, but our dream is we turn that into a restaurant. Of course it would be a restaurant. A restaurant, coffee shop for the community, for those who are struggling, for those who need somewhere to be, for those maybe for all of us for all of us, but for the community outside of us. And, you know, I just say we've got, we've got um, uh, Caleb and Neil and Janet Young with us uh, here from, they, they lead the Causeway Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland. And we got, I, got, I got the vision from them. I saw we've nicked it. They, they do that there and they've got folk that come and, and they have coffee and they have pastries and whatever and they sit there and it's a safe place and then off it there's various, there's various rooms where they can chat with people privately and lots and lots of other things. And uh, we long, we long, this is, this is for the community. And do you know, over the years, God has been so, we haven't known there's so many times he's spoken to us and we haven't understood. I certainly haven't understood what on earth he was doing. And, you know, we started festivals the same year we started the church. That's why I think it's about 30 years. It was the same year. And that first year, um, we, we had 1,896 young people came. To this day, I don't know how they got there, but they got there. We didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea, but God was there. And the following year, it was 4,000 and then six and then 8,000. And then uh, before 2019, the Lord said to us so clearly, so clearly through multiple prophecies that we were to stop. And we didn't understand it. We kind of tried to give reasons, but we didn't really understand it. But we knew. So 2019 was our final year and it was a wonderful end. It was the perfect end. We had 32,500 teenagers came. Well over 2,000. 2,300, I think, gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. And we finished with a surplus that we could give away. And if we'd gone on one more year, we would never have finished. We didn't know, but he knew. He knew the enemies that were hiding. And so he took us another direction. And it was the grace of God. It was the grace of God. It's always been the grace of God. And God has provided people regularly, just, just in amazing ways, in amazing ways, just at the right time. And he, he tells you a step at the time. He doesn't tell you the whole thing. He tells you the next step. So you trust him for the next step. We couldn't bear it if, it was, if, we knew, if we knew the end. We're a pilgrim people. We're on a journey and we lean into him. Just a couple of things, just a couple of stories. And, and the, these are to do with finances, but they're illustrative. They're illustrative. When we first started, uh, are the Mitchells here, Dave and Emma? Are they here? No. Well, they might be watching on the thing, but... Uh, but uh, 
But when we started um, uh, Dregs, there was, I don't know, when it was about 30 of us, we would hire PA equipment and lightning, lightning, lighting, um, um, you know, from the, um, the, this shop in, um, in Watford. And Dave was in charge. He was 19. And uh, he was in charge of it. And he would hire it, put it in the back of his dad's car, uh, bring it, set it up. He was our sound guy, put it away. And then one Friday night after dregs, we finished late and he got back home after midnight and he was exhausted. And he knew he was taking the equipment back at seven o'clock the next morning. So instead of taking the equipment out and putting it in the garage, he backed his dad's estate against the garage wall um, so that the boot was against the wall and went to bed. Next morning, he phoned me and he was shaken. And he said, I just discovered someone's broken into the car and stolen all the equipment. And of course, because the equipment was in the car overnight, it wasn't insured and it was worth three and a half thousand pounds. And he told me, and I remember sitting in my room and I said to Dave, Dave, let's, let's not tell anyone just for an hour or two and let, just give me a, a, a bit of time. I just need to think. And I'd love to tell you, I, I sought the Lord in deep prayer and uh, Reese Howe's intercessor learnt from me and, and all of that. But I, I, I just, I didn't, I worried. I sat on my bed and I remember thinking, it's the end. It's the end. Before we've started, we're finished. Where are we going to get three and a half thousand pounds? And then I promise you, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. I had a phone call from a businessman who had just become a Christian who I didn't know that well. I didn't know him that well. I'd met him a, a, two or three times, a few times. And um, um, I think it's all right to say, uh, I'll take a risk. Um, do you know the entertainer toy shops? Yeah, some of you. Well, it's Gary Grant, who's the owner of the entertainer toy shops. And in those days, he had two or three shops, okay? And he phoned me and he was very, very agitated. And he said, this has never happened to me before. I've only been a Christian a short time. I was driving from my shop in Oxford to my shop in um, Amersham and God spoke to me and I had to pull on, off onto the side of the road and God said to me, I was to phone you this morning and I was to tell you that today I'm putting a check in the post for you for three and a half thousand pounds and there is a message that comes with the check from God and the message is this, never let money Stop what you're doing with young people. Now I tell you that it's not, for me, it's not about the three and a half thousand pounds. It's about the faithfulness of God. It's about the flipping faithfulness of God. And that's been a, that's been a, a like one of my altars. You know, one of my, one of my altars of thanksgiving. You did that, Lord. And He's done it ever since. Ever since he's done it, uh, just was it four years ago? When um, uh, to cut a long story very short, four years ago, um, uh, 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 a, a top businessman and his wife from another country uh, in Asia, who I had met, I'll leave it like that in case I shouldn't say any more. Um, uh, they they were visiting uh, from um, from their country, and they were staying in their apartment in London. And they asked me to go over for tea. 
And I went over for tea and we chatted and they asked me what, what, I was, what we were doing and what our vision was. I'm cutting, I'm leaving things out. Uh, and then at the end, they said, we're going to pray for you. And they did. And then he said, before you go, I'm just going to write a little check uh, to encourage you in the ministry. He put it in an envelope. I said goodbye. I walked to Great Portland Street Station. And I remember as I was at the top of the stairs at Great Portland Street Station, I thought, I'll have a look. I opened the envelope. It was a check for half a million pounds. And that was four years ago. And that's helped with also this equipment. All our audiovisual is from there. My bonuses are from, that's a joke. No, it's not true. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have my semi in North Watford and then I have another one in Monte Carlo. Um, but you know, God provided, God provided. So as things we could do that we couldn't otherwise do. And not just money, he did it with people. I could tell you so many, so many more stories, but time is running out. So just to say, who, who are we? For those of you who have joined our family, we welcome you gladly. We welcome you gladly. But we just want you to know a bit of our story and a little bit about who we long to be. We long to be first, a people who have Jesus at the center of who we are and what we do. Uh, and, and that involves worship, but it's so much more than singing. It's about being the people of God. He's at the center. It's all about him. It's not about us. And, 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 it's, and our, our worship is to him and for him and with him and in him and through him. That's why we sing lots of songs. We want to sing, I, I, I'm tired, I told you lots of times, I don't want to sing any more songs about me. I'm tired of singing about me. I, come to, I want to sing songs about him and to him, about how wonderful he is and to tell him I love him and why I love him. To reflect the worship of heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. But that's a whole other story. And so number one, we want to be a people who are devoted to him. And that's why we want to be a people of the word and the spirit. We want to teach God's word. We want to, we want to, we want to dwell in God's word. We don't just want to read God's word. As we said a couple of weeks ago, we want to be a people who allow God's word to read us. Because that's what changes us. To be a people of his praise. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God who brought us out of darkness to sing the praises of him who brought us out, I nearly misquoted it, who sing the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's what Peter says in his letter. And that's the truth. Secondly, we want to be a committed community. That we, we're together. We, I know many of you know this. I'll say it again. I won't get tired of saying it. We want to be a church where it's okay not to be okay. That doesn't mean we wallow in our non-okayness. That means that we're honest about our brokenness. And there are a number of people here who are really broken. There are a number of people here who struggle with life. There are a number of you here who really have, have issues um, that are not yet dealt with. 
And that includes me. And that certainly includes him. (laughs) We're all broken. We've all got issues. We've all got things that we struggle with. And we believe in a God who heals. But he heals in the place of honesty, not in the place of hiding. And and we want to be a church where, where we hold also to the highest moral standards that Jesus taught us. We're not, going to, we're not going to compromise on the highest moral standards that Jesus taught us. But also, also, we're a church where we want to have the deepest level of compassion that Jesus showed us for all those of us who cannot attain the highest moral standards that Jesus taught us. And that's the trick to hold both. Because usually churches either... Uh, are absolutely on the highest moral standards and they can get, and if that's all it is, they can get judgmental, um, they can get rigid, they can get legalistic or it's about the deepest level of compassion without holding on to the highest moral standards and then we end up no different to the world around us. And then we end up saying that anything goes and anything's all right and and all of that. And And the bit to hold on to is, we, we, what Jesus taught us is good for us. It's good for us. So we hold that. But we're all broken. We all mess up. And we, have, we love each other. And we have mercy on each other because he has mercy on us. And you know, if the honest truth is, if I knew the worst things about you, if I knew them, and I saw you walking down the road, I would cross the road to avoid you. But if you knew the worst things about me, if you really did, and you saw me walking down the road, you would cross the road to avoid me, except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. Because Jesus took it all He took it all and he accepted my rottenness and he accepted your rottenness and he said, I want you to be a family and I want you to do this journey together because there's power in together. How does this work? Nick and Teresa, could you just come up here, please? Were you asleep? (laughs) You were asleep. You, you had your eyes closed. Don't lie to me. I saw you. Just stand there. Just, just stand there. Nick and Teresa, well, Nick's leaving the church after today. Um, how, don't. You're just encouraging. Uh, uh, Teresa, how, how long have you been part of our church? We're not absolutely sure. We, because um, we were around in a plant that was planted the same time as Soul Survivor from Chorleywood, but we've been actually here probably about 14, 15 years. 14, 15 years. And uh, without getting personal, um, as far as I'm aware, you're not millionaires, are you? No, no, I didn't think so, because um, I know how much you give. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much, I don't know. I've no idea how much anyone gives. It's a joke. I have no idea. 
That's a joke. You do give, don't you? Don't mind. <laughs> um, they're not millionaires. But do you know, in 14, 15 years they've been here, do you know what they've done? They raised last week they, they, 7,700 pounds for Live Village in South Africa. They've, um, they've, they've reached a whole load of young people with the good news of Jesus. They've, they've, they've enabled mission to all over the world. They've, they, Nick and Teresa, look at them. Look, look at how ordinary they, Nick is. Look how ordinary Nick is. That was close. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, they, 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 three years ago, three years ago, um, they, 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 they gave nearly two million pounds for our building project. These two, these two. They've, they've, for 14 years, they've been giving food for the food bank in Watford every Sunday. And before that, to the social services in Watford. And do you know how they did it? They did it because they were part of a family. Because we did it together. That's how it works. They couldn't have done it on their own. They couldn't have done any of that. But they did it. They made a difference in people's lives because they're part of a family. And you know, there's a little trite, sloppy, sentimental saying, one snowflake that comes down melts, doesn't do anything. But a whole load of them together, they stop traffic. And four snowflakes together stop the trains. <laughs> you see, it's the power of being a people. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It's the, power, it's the power of being a people together. The new commandment is that we love one another as he loves us. And that's why we spend so much time eating together. You know, it's not, but well, there's other reasons we spend a lot of time eating together. But it, it's so biblical to, 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 to make fellowship. That's what connect groups are about. We're trying in every way, in every way, to created, committed communities. We're a family of families. But also, and I start to come into land with this, it's, it's, not, it's not being a family for our sake. It's being a family for the sake of others. When Jesus says in John's Gospel, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, he's the very next thing he says, the very next thing he says is this, by this will everyone know you're my disciples if you love one another? Do you realise our community together is one of the greatest evangelistic tools we have? Do you know how many people have come? Some of you have done it. Have come to our church. I don't know how they got there. Not knowing Jesus. And they've been overwhelmed by the sense of love in this place that we're so used to we don't notice. But they just, the number of people who have said to me, what is it? What is it? And also, we want to be a family that, is, that has an open door 
to the world outside. And I just want to say a tiny bit here about the way the church has traditionally done mission. And the way we've done it is just, we, we've, we've, we've tried to throw as the church of Jesus Bible bombs at people from a safe distance and hope one lands in the vicinity. And that hasn't been great, has it? It doesn't really work like that. And, and, and we've been like a, 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 um, a, a, a people in a castle. And we've been hiding in our castle with the drawbridge up so that the horrible, evil, nasty world doesn't contaminate us. And I know, having been a youth leader, that what youth leaders get told uh, officially is, we want you to reach young people who aren't Christians. But what they're told subliminally in every other way by parents and church leaders is, we want you to create an alternative Christian universe for our young people so they don't have to go to those nasty, evil parties and where they don't get contaminated. And so we have our Christian version of parties. We have our Christian parties for young people where we have quiche and orange squash and ABBA and, and, where, and where we play um, what does, those games, icebreakers that every teenager cringes at. But we think, it, and it's so that we keep them from, from going out there. And has it worked? Oh no, it hasn't. Because what do our young people do? They think, What's so great about there that I'm not allowed? There has to be a better way. So we're stuck in the castle of our church with the drawbridge up. And then we decide that once a year, we'll do a mission for the whole week out there. And so we prepare. We prepare for weeks. We tell each other our testimonies until we're word perfect. And we prepare our Christian dramas and our Christian mimes and our Christian dances. And then when we're ready, we let down the drawbridge of the church and we run out there where for a whole week we do things at them. And then after a week, we run back into the church dragging two or three that somehow by accident we've captured. We pull up the drawbridge and then we do something that we call discipleship at them, at the end of which they can't communicate with non-Christians either. And we call it evangelism. That is a gift from Satan to the church. It's a nightmare. There's a better way. Let's break down the walls of the church. Let's be a church without walls. Let's be a church that exists for the community around us. And folks, for our young people, for our teenagers, I've worked out over years, that first method doesn't work. How about this as an alternative strategy? How about we get them? I'm not supposed to come down here for the live stream, but I'm here now. Um, how, 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 about, how about an alternative strategy? How about... We, we, we so invest in them that they so fall in love with Jesus, that they're so passionate about Jesus, that they know him so well, that they're filled with his word, that they, they become desperate to reach their friends with the good news of Jesus. And they go to those parties and they're dangerous. And they go and they do what Jesus did. He went to Matthew's party. He hung out with the publicans and sinners and he didn't sin because he was full of life and he was full of goodness. And do you know what? 
we don't really in the church believe the scripture that says he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Why don't we, why don't we raise up a generation that are so radically committed to Jesus that they will go anywhere, that they will do anything, that they will infect and affect the world with goodness. How about that? Because the first way doesn't work. That's how we hemorrhage them because you can't keep them trapped for long. And that's who we want to be. And we want to be, as I come into land, a generous church, a generous church. And this church is the most generous church I could ever imagine, but generous to the world around us. Generous not just with our money, but with our time. Generous with our listening. Just, just being a people who listen. And I've just, I've just, I've just done a course of 12 weeks, a listening course on techniques on how to listen. And I'm going to distill what I have learned. And it costs, cost me thousands of pounds. And here is the summary. Here's how you listen. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Stop talking. And listen to the heart and not just the mouth. Because there are folk with stories that are desperate to tell. There are folk who are desperate for someone to listen and someone to hear them and someone to accept them and someone to love them. And we are meant to be that people. That's our calling, to be a church for the world around us, to be a generous church in every way. And as you know, we're, we're church planting and we're going to lose some of our best people. And it's wonderful. You give your best away. I mean, we'll keep Nick, obviously. <laughs> but our best people, we're going <laughs> to... That'll teach you. Close your eyes. And, you know... And, and it's going to be costly. But it's not about us. It's not about us. I remember a story of a church in, I think it was Chile, uh, that planted loads and loads of churches, planted hundreds of churches. And that mother church died, was exhausted. And they, ha they had a funeral for the, the mother church. And tens of thousands came to the funeral All the, all the kids and the grandkids of that church to celebrate the life of that church who gave herself away. If we were ever going to die as a church, I'd love us to die like that. What a wonderful way to die, giving ourselves away. And I'm not prophesying we're going to die. We're not gonna, that's not it. But that's it. And we want to do all this in the power of the Spirit. We want to do this in the power of the Spirit. Being kind, being generous, being merciful, being compassionate. But also, also in the power of the Spirit. And so in the autumn, because so many are new and we all need to refresh, we're going to do a little series on the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, those of you that don't have the gift of tongues, we're going to pray 
for you to, to, to receive the gift of tongues and the prophetic and praying for healing. And, and you know what? The gift of tongues isn't about having the gift of tongues as a badge to wear. It's a tool to use. It's about praying better. It's another way of praying. The gift of prophecy isn't so that you can be a prophet. It's so that you can speak words of God's love to people's hearts. Gifts of healings aren't so that we can have a healing ministry, but so that people can be set free. That's where we're going. And we're going to go together. And we're going to go alongside brothers and sisters in different parts of the world. And I love it that we didn't plan it like this, but the youngs are here from Causeway Coast because loads of what I've said, we've, we've learned from them. And we're going to do it in a way that fits us and fits Watford. But we're going to do it alongside others. We're going to do it together.